Geographies is an art commissioning project coordinated and produced by nine organisations from the East Contemporary Visual Art Network. In 2017, members of the public were invited to nominate overlooked and forgotten places across the six counties of the East of England. Then followed an open call for artists to propose a new public artwork inspired by any of the nominated locations. A diverse and exciting group of 10 artists were selected and commissioned. Over the past three years, we've been working together to realise their ambitious projects, engaging with local artists, residents, schools and communities across the region and further afield. Great. So, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Winterton on Sea and to Movable Estates, a project that we have created and have been working on for the past two years here and together with New Geographies and NUA Gallery and Matt, which is the main producer. And today, basically, you're going to explore some of the outcomes of this long research project that basically looks at the transformation of the coastline of East Anglia and how this coast and these dunes that we are currently standing on are something that we may see as permanent, but is actually something that has been changing for thousands of years. Look down toward the shoreline. You are looking at billions of microscopic particles, shells, coral, Fossils, quartz, silicates, the detritus of multi-species bodies, weathered pieces of bricks, stones, buildings, microfibers and nanoplastics. Together they record the slow processes of erosion, decay and impossible disappearance. We call it sand. Yeah, yeah. So the coast itself um, is moving, and this is this project is some is part of a longer term project that we call Climavore, which basically questions how humans are changing climate and how do we eat according to that. And as things uh, are constantly changing, it's also important to note that the the project started as a, like as a way to look at how these structures that we're standing around of are actually kind of at risk and how different people here in this case fishermen have been trying to protect their huts and how are they trying to move them and through that and you'll hear that more and more as you do the tour how also different citizens individuals and groups have tried to kind of respond to the changing shoreline so enjoy your walk we are here if anyone has questions we're happy to speak more later Begin to find a safe path down to the beach. There is a double track in front of you, which will take you down to the beach in a gentle slope. Once on the beach, walk toward the shore, as close to the water as you feel comfortable. When you have reached the shore, stand at the water's edge and look out to sea. 
although most of the East Anglian coast has been eroding. The beach around Winterton grew in the 18th and 19th centuries. Marum grass was planted to bind the dunes together and prevent further shifts in the sand. By the beginning of World War I, 400 yards already separated the Winterton Lighthouse from the sea. The area in between became known as the Valley. Today, the lighthouse has become a vacation home offering sea views from afar. As the water again approaches the dunes, who knows, one day it might become useful again. About one mile north, and a bit to your left, there was once the village of Winterton Ness. It was built on the fatal headland between London and Scotland, known as the Devil's Throat, where dozens of vessels at a time could easily be engulfed by the waves. The village's two working lighthouses, its homes, and dozens of other nearby villages are all long gone. Bend down and take a handful of sand. You might still find some traces. Hello, I'm Alon Chvabe. And I'm Daniel Fernandez Pascual. And together we practice as cooking sections. Our practice looks at different um, connections between ecology, visual arts and architecture. And we usually use food to understand the construction of landscape. Uh, but also looking at different events that have been shaping uh, the current climate emergency in, in a certain extent. And here with Movable Estates, is the project we developed for new geographies in East Anglia, we started looking at climatic transformations, but also at the changing shorelines uh, all along the uh, area of, of Norfolk. In response to New Geography's call for projects, we started to observe the transformation of the coastline in East Anglia and came uh, eventually decided to work in Winterton on sea because in many ways it's one, one of the few areas in East Anglia that are really hit by erosion and that over the years have, have gone through different and many transformations. My name is Claire Allerton. I'm curator for East Gallery, Norwich University of the Arts. And I've been working over the last couple of years with artists' cooking sections to produce their artwork, Movable Estates. When we initially came to the project, um, we were really interested in cooking sections because of their um, work where they embed themselves in infrastructure and they create real-world changes they really look at the ecosystem and the place that they're working in and they try to make positive changes towards um, creating a more sustainable environment um, and we like that for a couple of reasons because it spoke to the kind of bigger concerns of the new geographies project um, it was looking at the ecosystem it was looking at, at the land at the, the terra firma it was looking at, at geography um, and we liked it because it involved communities and, and involved them speaking to people and thinking about what was happening in that region and how they could potentially change it for the better. 
Um, so when we commissioned Cooking Sections, we were thinking about how we could bring the community in, how we could continually um, think about the people that were living in these regions, the people living in the East and what they thought about the artwork and what they they thought about um, the sites they had nominated into the map. So one of the things that came out really strongly with the nominations from the map was that people in the East are really strongly committed to the coastline. Um, we had a lot of nominations that were specifically in beach locations and specifically tied to the idea of water and how we find that really, um, in the East, we find that really important. So one of the things when we were looking at artists to commission for this project was uh, an artist that potentially had worked with that theme before or that could address it in a, a new and... Um, detailed, research-worthy way, and cooking sections definitely uh, suggested themselves for that based on what they'd previously worked on. And the project started by talking to different people, residents, historians, environmentalists, uh, first to try to understand the how long has this been happening, like, and then like it became quite clear from the beginning that this is not a new process, it's something that uh, is almost kind of connected to geological time. This been like for centuries or, or millennia, uh, there's been periods of erosion and accretion and erosion and accretion. Uh, but now what we are assisting to is to a time when human action is actually accelerating those processes that in some places uh, manifest as accretion, accretion, but in other places is more uh, erosion. Uh, and that has uh, tremendous consequences for residents along the coast. Climate has always been changing on the eastern shores of Anglia. In January 1953, the Great North Sea Flood was the deadliest event in post-war Britain. Winds of 140 miles per hour combined with a spring tide to break through coastal defences. In East Anglia, 300 people died and 32,000 were evacuated. In the Netherlands, numbers rose to 1,800 lives and 65,000 evacuations. And the inspiration for the extensive Dutch Delta Works plan to shorten the coastline of the country was found. Coastal erosion has been more severe in East Anglia, especially between Winterton and Cromer, than anywhere else in Britain. In addition to changing tides, human action is now also a major contributor to the disappearance of the country. Moving shingle bars, sandbanks and river courses, creating sea barriers, disrupting the seabed for extraction. I'm Rory Cleary. I met Alon and Daniel when they were doing research for their project, Movable Estates. And they came and had a cup of tea with me and talked about what I had done in light of the Beast from the East storm that essentially eroded the land that uh, my family's house was on. My family have, um, we've had a tiny beach house down in the Marrams in Hemsby for um, over 20 years. It's been our 
absolute escape. Um, we spent all our holidays there, Easter, summer, and it was a real kind of secret paradise in the dunes. And yeah, as we grew up, we we could still go there, but maybe a little less. And actually, just before the storm, which basically destroyed a whole part of Hemsby, the whole part of the Marrams Road, I'd actually just done the place up for my mum. Yeah, I remember um, it was it started snowing uh, and it was with the news of the beast from the east. And I woke up one morning and I could hear the roar of the sea, which actually was quite rare because um, the house was nestled into a pretty large dune that was like two and a half times the height of the house. And the sea was pretty far away and the dune was at least kind of 40 foot deep. And I could hear the roar of the sea, which was unusual. It woke me up and I got out of bed and went to look around the back. And there was essentially no dune left. At that point, we still had uh, about three metres, three to four metres behind the house after that storm. Uh, whereas other neighbours along the road, um, their houses were actually slightly hanging over the edge, which led to their houses actually being demolished we kind of thought that that would that was it in terms of the storms and it was a terrible situation um but in some ways maybe we had uh come out of it being very lucky so that so we had um the first storm and we thought that was it but we were actually hit with a second and third storm in the space of about four weeks and the second storm actually led to us only having about 80 centimeters behind the house and at this point, the council came in and had started the demolition process on neighbours' houses who were overhanging and were starting to put in place demolition orders on all the houses along there, along the strip of land. And um, I was speaking to the uh, building control and the head of planning. And it was a bit, there was a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity on the what their rights were on their ability to demolish the properties. And the fact that some properties further along the coast had sat for many years um, with hardly any land behind them and had been fine. But they basically put a caveat of that there had to be at least a metre behind the house. And I had less than a metre just. So... I remember talking to my mum because she was away at the time and it suddenly like becoming really upset because there was this realisation that actually maybe all of those memories and all of that energy as a family we'd put into the place and, and, and had all those times to enjoy ourselves and it become such a special place that actually it was suddenly that was going to all be lost and destroyed both by kind of nature and by bureaucracy and we had a conversation and I remember just saying what if I just cut the back off? And I remember my mom kind of, kind of half crying, half half laughing, being like, that's absurd. And basically we came to the decision that in light of it potentially being destroyed, what do we have to lose? And the, 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 the buildings are timber structures. So it actually meant cutting through it wasn't as difficult or as mad as it seemed. So I cut the, ho- I cut the back of the house off reboarded it all, refaced it, put the windows back in and basically made a smaller stubbier house. That was kind of in a, a frantic 24 hours. And then the next day when they came to check, the council came to check, it meant when they measured everything, they then didn't have the ability to demolish the property because there was more than a metre behind it. We then thought that would be that. And 
we thought we would just kind of wait and reassess and wait for everything to you know, kind of die down again. And then we would look at how we could kind of turn this now stubby house into something a bit more usable. But we didn't actually have time for that. And we, about a week later, we had another storm. And by this point, the house was, it was right at the, 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 the cliff edge was right at the back line of the house. And by that point, I thought that was kind of it. I kind of thought ready to give up and actually... A lot of people had rallied behind the actions that I'd taken and there was a sense of a community spirit of, you know, kind of representing those who maybe hadn't been able to uh, save their homes or didn't have the ability. There was also something about the way which the powers that be were handling the situation. It's like they didn't care for the community that that was there and that the best thing to do because it was coming up to the Easter holiday and they were concerned maybe about kind of tourism and tourists. The best thing to do was to just demolish and the problem would go away. And that actually really riled me up. And I didn't like the way that they thought they could just roll over a whole community. So I thought I've done it once. Why don't I just do it again? And I cut the house again and I had to cut it again and again and again (laughs) until All I was really left with was a two metre deep property by about six metres long. And it was essentially just the front. But it became more, you know, I think that as a family, we were kind of emboldened by the energy that the place meant to us, which was a creative escape for my mum, a creative escape for us, somewhere to, to just enjoy ourselves. And the idea of losing it meant that we were willing to once we you know in a sense we felt like we had lost it all so we couldn't lose any more by cutting it even more when we first started working with kicking sections the sites they picked out from the map were in great yarmouth and we did an initial site visit to some places like the old pumping station in trous and we looked at how their research might attach to those particular places, how they might develop an artwork which was um, in response to the map, but also in response to those wider concerns about the project. Winterton came slightly later on when the guys had started to research kind of more detailed areas and meet people. So one of the people that we met was uh, his local historian called David Stannard, Um, who has years and years worth of research um, about Eccles and about the the storms in that region and about the the coastline, about the tides. So we were talking to him and various other people about the coastline and how um, significant that is in our region. And the guy started to look at Hemsby and the idea that we lose houses to the sea. And actually that's that's relatively, it's not a new thing in, in, in the East. Um, how local people react to that, how they have that within their um, psyche in the, in the region. And, and it's quite an emotional topic. Um, it's something that when we started to speak to people and we started to do research in that area, we realised how... Um, sensitive it is that even though people are sort of they sort of understand that these things are going to happen they are still wildly protective over their their houses as as would anyone be um, and they want to they want to find ways to to make it better so 
a lot of people in those communities, you know, looking at defense mechanisms, they're looking at, at things that they can put into the um, in the way between them and the shore to kind of wave breakers to kind of stop um, the erosion. Here, what we thought that could be interesting is not to not only to raise awareness of what's happening, but also how do we envision new horizons. In this case, with Winterton, we um, came across a fisherman who has been had been trying to to move his own shed um, because it was about to fall to the sea. So he wanted to take action, and and actually was one of the first cases in the area that managed to get permission from the rollback registry to move his structure uh, inland, a few meters inland and like away from the cliff. So for us that was very inspiring and that's also why we wanted to, to relate to that. At the beginning, how the project starts and it also evolved a lot along the way was that we set up a collaboration with him to figure out how we could use also this platform of new geographies to, to support not only the moving of his structure, but also uh, create a, a kit to support other people to do the same thing if they want. Um, because of the nature of the project as well, uh, that proved um, difficult. And at some point also um, he uh, thought it would be too mediatic, which was an interesting component of the project, like how much uh, do you expose it or you don't expose it? How is going to be received by local communities? Um, and at that point, he um, shied away and decided not to do it. Uh, and eventually he did it himself without having any kind of mediatic impact. Uh, so for us, that was a very interesting move because despite the fact that it was kind of the whole project was trying to figure out ways to uh, make it happen in a more sustainable way for the future so other people can use that model. Uh, eventually also has its own challenges and had the project had to readapt accordingly. As you approach the cluster of fishermen sheds, notice the one closest to you, to your right hand side. In 2019, it used to stand right by the cliff with the approval of the rollback registry of Norfolk, the owner lifted the shed with a digger and relocated it to where you see now. Rollback is the process of moving properties at risk away from the erosion zone. The act of lifting and moving a building landwards is not new. Several lighthouses, like the Beltout Lighthouse in Sussex, have been relocated in the past few decades. Belt out, crept 17 metres inland in 1999. These are not just sumptuous mechanical exercises. Moving structures collectively is a performative act that brings people together for a common cause. In Taiwan, the Ejie Wangkong Temple was pulled 160 metres by more than a thousand devotees to save it from demolition. So cooking sections were considering the idea that when we think in the UK particularly about creating architecture, we talk about bedding down into the soil, we talk about building structures and building it from the ground up, but actually what if we don't do that? What if we think about architecture as a, as a movable, malleable 
uh, structure. Why do houses have to be stationary? Why do we have to think of our societies in this in these permanent ways? Um, why do we think in, in this country of this is my land, this is your land, and um, and I'm going to protect it fiercely? Actually, why don't we think more? laterally about that idea and, and work with with the landscape why are we fighting it um, and cooking sections did an incredible amount of research about historical cases and more contemporary cases of um all across the world of people who had built houses that were uh designed to be moved the project that developed um movable estates was in response to that research was, could we think of another way that Winterton could live? Eventually, movable estates, the project here at Winterton, looks at how we could shift from the idea of real estate, property that is fixed in one place into a movable estate, a form of inhabitation of the coast that moves together with the tides, the climate and the weather. And for this, uh, for new geographies, we created an audio walk that takes visitors to Winterton on Sea on a 30-minute journey into the history and possible futures of the shifting coastline in East Anglia. Mobile houses are not only on wheels. Thinking about movable estates is a process of reimagining coastal inhabitation and the way the shores are managed. In the US, where flood insurance is controversial, new approaches are trying to adapt to a shifting coastline. North Carolina, Maine and Massachusetts have banned the construction of hard sea defences. California is removing hard edges to soften its shores. In Staten Island, coastal property owners are coming together to form collective buyout groups to relocate safer ground and restore coastal lands into the wetlands that it once housed. In times of unsettled weather, the country might be better off if it allows itself to shrink. When we look at sand, we may no longer see traces of the sea but we may come to see sand as a sign of being too close to the water. Perhaps we can reimagine houses to move with the tides. Um, from my perspective, having walked that walk maybe ten times before, it was really exciting to see people coming together and seeing people young and old um, take this first journey with us. And it's something that we really hope people will continue to do, even though the site will change, um, even though inevitably the, the trail that we've laid on the site will change and people won't be able to walk it. That the, the idea that it becomes a historical moment, a pinpoint of when cooking sections came in and were thinking about the site You can see all 270 nominated locations alongside details of each of the 10 artists' projects at www.newgeographies.uk.
New Geographies has been produced by Art Exchange, East Gallery NUA, First Sight, Focal Point Gallery, Kettles Yard, Norwich Castle Museum and Art Gallery, Original Projects, UH Arts and Wising Arts Centre. New Geographies is supported by Arts Council England.